make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. Oh, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. I'm a Punjabi girl in a Punjabi world, my name's Asifa. Wear my burqa, you can't see my face The boys, they like to chase My qualification is that I am Asian so, welcome to episode 29. Today, I've got Muslim drag queen Asifa Lahore here with me. You may know her from the awesome documentary, Muslim Drag Queens. Hi, Asifa. How are you? Uh, hey there, honey. I'm not too bad at all. How are you? I am good. I'm good. You are, you know, I'm such a fan of yours. You're really such an inspiration because I feel like you're you're really bringing change to the Muslim community globally. You know, you're making something visible in such an awesome way that, you know, kudos. Well, thank you very much. I mean, um, wow. I mean, you inspire me on so many levels. So actually you saying that actually is, is a pretty big thing for me, I have to say, because I think sometimes like when you're at the heart of what you're trying to do, you don't really see the change happening sometimes and um, I mean I, I, I don't know about you but I sometimes get very frustrated about mm. whether change is happening or not so to actually hear what you've just said has actually just um, made my day so thank you so much oh well talking to you has made my day so thank you but I'm sure it didn't come without its challenges right like like doing what you're doing is full of roadblocks on every step of the way so can you can you tell me about how you got started in, you know, in drag and... Sure. So I kind of, um, as a teenager, I went to the Brit School of Performing Arts, um, mm-hmm. which um, is sort of like London's, well, actually, I should say the UK's like um, biggest and free uh, performing arts uh, drama school. Uh, it's based in like South London. And, um, you know, all throughout my sort of childhood, I always wanted to do something to do with performing. And, um, you know, you know, coming from a Pakistani background, the the idea is actually, you know, be, do a proper job like, um, yes. <laughs> like you know, become a lawyer, become a doctor, become a teacher, like something that's, I guess, respectable or or seen as respectable and, and normal, me. and and, <laughs> and and also like something that is, you know, sustainable like financially. I mean, you know, coming from a sort of immigrant background, I think that that is definitely the mentality that's drummed into you. So I managed to actually audition and get a place there and, and scholarship and um, you know it meant that I could still get my qualifications but actually I could also you know really hone my singing acting and dancing skills mm-hmm. and um, I you know after that I actually got offered a place at RADA uh, and I didn't get the scholarship now RADA is like the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts and I didn't get a scholarship my parents were like we're not forking out for it mm-hmm. we want you to do something you know a, a, a bit more proper and so I sort of left left performing arts behind like in my late teens because um, it was because of that and also because I was afraid at that time that if I were to follow a route in performing arts then everybody would know about me as in they would know about who I really was my sexuality what you know being out on a public stage you you are really exposed Mm -hmm. so I really left it behind and it's only I guess you know I went on to university and stuff and I graduated and I I think I you know there was a process where I actually began coming out to to my parents and and to my own sort of immediate family and you know once I'd sort of dealt with those issues of coming out 
I think I've started performing about six years ago. And the reason why I started performing was, um, you know, I, I entered a very celebratory sort of phase in my life. You know, my parents knew about me. Things were really happening. Mm. And I was out clubbing one night in London and um, one of my friends picked up a magazine, um, a, a scene magazine, and it, they were advertising for the UK Drag Idol competition. Now, Drag Idol in the UK, it's like a national sort of competition mm-hmm. to find the next big drag artist. Uh, it's not quite as hip as RuPaul's Drag Race, but it's kind mm-hmm. of like our live <laughs> version of it. And um, uh, I entered that sort of six years ago, a little bit as a joke. I thought, okay, let, you know, my friends were like, oh God, you've got to enter. You'd make yeah. a really good drag queen. And you've always wanted to perform. Was that like so the first I, time that you fully dressed up in drag or? Uh, it was, I mean, I I was, I had been, I had cross-dressed a bit here and there, like in, in my childhood, like, um, you know, I remember sort of sneaking into my mum and my mum's uh, wardrobe and trying on a sari and <laughs> um, putting on a bit of lipstick here and there. But that was just mostly for my mo- uh, own amusement or, you know, sometimes my aunties would just dress me up yeah. um, to like dance at the weddings uh, in Pakistan every time we went. So, um, you know, people sort of recognised my talents but I think they just saw it as just a performance thing Mm -hmm. Um, you know uh, so those were sort of like my early memories but when it came to sort of like really doing it it was six years ago it was at sort of like the UK drag idol competition and at the time um, you know if you're, I don't know about you, but if I if I'm going to enter a competition, I'm not going to enter to come last. I want to win. I want mm-hmm. to sort of enter to win. I'm quite competitive like that. Yeah. So I um I've been obviously watching like drag queens for like years and years and years and years and years. And in the UK, I, I know in the US and North America and Canada, it's like really different. There's a lot of lip syncing culture. Yeah. And we've got lip syncing culture here in the UK, but actually our drag shows tend to be more live. So you know a lot of the queens sing and stuff. Oh. So um, I decided very early early on that I wanted to be a live queen. And I also decided, you know, what's going to really make me different from everybody in this competition? And in the, you know, in the media sort of that year in Britain, there was a lot of negotiation around the niqab and Mm -hmm. the the hijab. And I thought, you know, I've I've watched so many parodies, onstage parodies of drag queens, you know, doing sister act parodies and so many like, all sorts of things. So I thought, you know, what would it, I wonder what would happen if I went on wearing a Union Jack burqa um, <laughs> and, you know, stripped that off to reveal a, um, a sari, um, which I decided to later strip off in the show to, you know, have a little mini skirt. And it's kind of like these, these, I, I kind of made the character at the time of Asifa Lahore, who was, you know, the Britain's British Muslim drag queen, who was, who embodied every everything there was about being British and Muslim. Um, And when I went on in my first show, uh, you know, it was a predominantly LGBT crowd and um, half the audience were like, Oh my gosh! Wow! And the other other half kind of just stopped in their in in whatever they were doing because <laughs> they weren't quite sure whether to laugh, to cry, to clap, <laughs> or cheer. And it really just showed, I guess, the divisions out there. Um, and this is the only the LGBT community we're talking about of you know race and religion and sexuality and gender. And you know, to cut a long story short, I think the because I I stuck out like a sore thumb, I made it through to the national final and came third overall amazing and, you know, I just found that my, um, due to that, I began getting a lot of bookings and uh, it sort of just start, you know, kickstarted my career in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's so awesome, too, how you kind of like reclaimed this, this burqa symbol, right, and made it your own. And it's taboo in so many ways, but it's so fantastic, I think, to do that. Like, you know, I grew up in Saudi Arabia and I had experiences with being forced mm. into a and hijabs Mm. and stuff and there was morality police walking around with a cane so Mm -hmm. you know I when I think of barkas I have a like a negative uh, response like a PTSD almost you know even though my parents were not strict and they never forced me but you know the state forced me yes 
But when you do things like that, you really, you really make it your own. You make a, you make a lighthearted joke out of it. You take that power and that sting out of it. I think so. So that's very powerful what you did. So I definitely found it very empowering at the time, and um, I mean, I didn't realize it would cause so much debate because uh, I thought, you know, if I were to perform something like this in in an LGBT environment, actually, it would go down very well. But actually, it just opened up the whole debate. Of of, I guess what it also means to be LGBT in in, in Britain and in and indeed the world. You know, mm. if, if if for example uh, a Muslim lesbian wanted to wear the hijab and wanted to go clubbing, you know, it just it sort of just opened up a whole dimension of of race and 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 uh, creed and gender issues that I, I I think you know when when was this? This was 2011, and I know a lot's been done in this decade around you know uh, queer people of color and whatnot but uh it was definitely it definitely pushed a lot of buttons so you know so much so that i just didn't i didn't realize that it was the start of something big right and that's what's needed right in our muslim communities around the world we need discussion on these things so much totally totally I, i agree with you totally on that and i guess the way i find it comfortable talking about these things are is actually using comedy and is actually yeah. using performance as a piece of art to sort of discuss issues not just sexuality or gender-based but so many other things i think uh, um within our community just the the whole idea of if there is an issue let's sort it out within the family or within a small sort of cluster of people let's not take it further or you know seek help or ask for support outside of it yeah uh, it's very hush hush don't you yes. know don't bring shame upon us don't don't air our dirty laundry sort of thing yeah so you totally brought that in the public sphere <laughs> well thank you i mean what i mean I, i'm just really glad that uh, you know i'm glad we live in the era of social media where we can um send things globally because obviously i talk about things in a very british context but actually the the stuff that is raised and the discussions that have been had are very much global um issues and global discussions around mm-hmm. i guess what it means to be muslim today you know now more than ever I mean, oh God, I mean, you know, look who's running the right. uh, the United States of America right now. Right. It's terrifying times. And I mean, you know, I, I'm someone who's left the faith, so I'm an ex-Muslim. But yeah. in times like this, I feel like really that brings everyone together because no one can really tell from my face that I'm ex-Muslim to yeah. someone like Donald Trump. The same bands, the same stuff would apply to me as would to Muslims. So yes, of course, of course, and um, I, it's interesting because um, you know, I, I mean, uh, I don't identify with ex-Muslims, but I have like so many supporters that are ex-Muslim, yeah. and um, uh, I find uh, a lot. And you may correct me uh, if I'm wrong here, but I do find that even though ex-Muslims have left the faith. There's still such an attachment in order to support, you know, now more than ever in terms of what's happening in the world is actually to to sort of support the community, even if you don't identify as a Muslim. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of ex-Muslims. There's some that have really just... Uh, you know, join the Trumpian ranks and some that do keep that attachment and uh, do want to support liberal Muslims. And you can stop believing in religion, but you cannot uh, mm. you cannot leave your family behind. You cannot leave the holidays, the traditions, the culture. Yes, that's always going to yeah. be part of your history. Yeah. So it's it's really like a, a part of who we are. That yeah. Muslim identity, even though we're ex-Muslim, I do firmly yeah. believe that. That's yeah. why I think it's so important for ex-Muslims to challenge anti-Muslim bigotry. Yeah. Because that's something that affects us all. I agree. I totally agree on that. I, I totally, totally agree. Because unless things aren't challenged, it's assumed that the bigotry and the inauthenticity is the truth when it really isn't. Right, right. And I heard you talking uh, in one of your talks about how, you know, you kind of exist in these two different spheres, like where when you talk to the LGBT community, you talk to them about anti-Muslim bigotry and you talk to them 
uh, about racism and stuff like that. And then when you're in, you know, speaking to the Muslim community, you address issues of homophobia. And that's really that's really what's needed, I think. Right. There's issues in every group and they need to be addressed. Totally. I mean, I'm very much of the ilk that one glove doesn't fit all. So, for example, just because I identify as an LGBT person, it doesn't mean that I should just leave, you know, take on sort of right wing militant LGBT, um, you know, sentiments around religion and for me to denounce Islam or leave Islam. I mean, the the joke is that actually I get I get told by militant right wing LGBT people to leave Islam. And I also get told by the imams to leave Islam. So it's just like, well, that's the biggest joke ever. (laughs) You know, that is the biggest joke ever. Yes, I experience the same. Even though I've left Islam, I still get hate from both the very conservative right-wing Muslims and very conservative right-wing atheists or whatever. So they're both telling me to abandon the community and not identify anymore. Interesting. God. And I mean, that says it all. I mean, um, you know, recently I spoke about I I did a talk at the Oxford Union and I talked about the importance of LGBTQ plus allies. Mm -hmm. And uh, I firmly believe that by actually ghettoizing an issue or making an issue that is just inclined uh, within the boundaries of one community, equality won't be reached that way. So, for example, if LGBT issues, LGBT plus issues, I just kept within the LGBT plus yeah. communities. How will equality be reached? Right, you, you have know, to how, reach across the aisle, and of course, yeah. And you need allies. You need allies uh, to be vocal, to be visible about the issue as much as you want to be visible. Yeah. And uh, you know, you can't do that without. I, I firmly believe you can't do that without allies. Um, but you know, the, the, going back to the sort of our, you know argument of both extremes. You know, I firmly believe that you know just because I'm Muslim, it doesn't dictate the entirety of my identity as does being LGBT and I firmly sit on the fence I firmly sit in the middle and I you know give two fingers up at both that challenge me on that I have the right to identify however I want to identify yes I prefer pushing the boundaries on on both on both sides actually for them to recognize um, you know, if they do want equality and acceptance on both parts, then you have to accept uh, that there is common ground here. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely support you in that. And I think that's wonderful because I get so mad at people trying to define other people's labels for them. Like, yeah. um, you know, I, I may not technically agree with you on the on religion, say, but yeah. I completely fully support your right to identify as however you want. But there's there's a whole crew of people that believe that anyone that's slightly liberal is just not a true Muslim. And those people exist among Muslims as well who don't want like LGBT people associating or liberals uh, liberal Muslims associating with Islam because no, 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 that disqualifies you. You're not a true Muslim. And then there's the right-wing Westerners who, you know, far right, let's say, who think that anyone that's less than ISIS just doesn't, uh, doesn't fit the bill of their hateful vision of what God Muslim means. God help us all. <laughs> God help us all if that's the case. I mean, I, I've i got to a point in my life now where, to be honest, I don't really care. I think God doesn't really care. Uh, you know, if you believe in something, you believe in something, simple as. Um, and I've got to a point now where, yeah, I just don't care. I mean, the other day, I'll be honest with you, I was at a, at a show and uh, it was at a, you know, it was at a drag bar in London and they said, oh, do you mind if you don't do the burka skit tonight? <laughs> and I said, well, why? Do, why? Because the audiences love that. And, um, you know, um, it's one of my landmark sort of skits. You know, I'm a Punjabi girl in a Punjabi I world. I love that song, by the way. So it's, you know, that's my, that's my opening song. Like, why, why shouldn't I do it? Oh, you know... <laughs> it's too political and there's all these sentiments around at the moment you know we don't want to upset people and this came from a drag queen and uh you know and i was like look at yourself you're a drag queen what's what's not political about being a drag queen who are they afraid of upsetting like people who like are afraid of upsetting like the muslim sensitivities or is that what it was 
No, it was, um, you know, we, um, so obviously like in the UK at the moment, there is Brexit going right, on yeah, yeah. and there's a lot of right wing sort mm-hmm. of sentiment out there. And I guess people are being very cautious that they don't want to push boats. And although London voted overwhelmingly to remain in the EU mm. um, and probably is, you know, one of the most diverse cities in the world, mm-hmm. there is there are still sections of people that are just blatantly scared of of just being themselves and pushing boundaries Um, and I think that's what it came down to and I mean I put my foot down uh, and performed the song and it was absolutely fine you know nothing happened uh, like I always knew it would yeah Um, so a lot of it is down to fear Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fear on on coming from every direction right now. Even in North yeah. America, it's a it's a very tense environment. And uh, when you do what you do, you're like so visibly Muslim in that burqa, but you're also so visibly offensive to many Muslims in that burqa that you can piss off pretty much everyone. Um, of course, which I'm is not just that, but I'm which also is super offensive to the LGBT community as well. Oh, are you? I believe I shouldn't be wearing the burqa. Because, you know, there's a lot of anti-faith sentiment in the LGBT community, especially in the right wing. Oh, right. I mean, I'm not a fan of religion, but I can see that that's a that's a prop. You're not exactly you're not exactly going to pull out a Quran and start preaching modesty to people on stage. Of course. I don't see the objection. But I mean, even there's a large majority of LGBT people that wouldn't agree me calling myself a Muslim drag queen because they believe that I should choose one over the other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like so you said you earlier. So you can't really win either way. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't yeah. see how... I, I wanted to talk to you a bit about how how you kind of um, consolidate those two identities. Uh, yeah. From my understanding of religion, it doesn't fit in my mind, but power to anyone who can make religion their own and make it fit and make it work for them, right? Because if... Sure. if if there's this, you know, almighty creator, would he really be so petty as to, you know, care about who people are fucking? That's how that's how I like to think about it, right? Like, yeah, there are yeah, bigger yeah. issues out there. I'm not a believer in God, so so this is just me speculating. Yeah. But, but yeah, it seems to be a very minor issue that very religious people get hung up on other people's sex lives and stuff. So, um <laughs> I mean, I get asked the, the you know, the Sifa, how do you do it? How do you do both? How do you define yourself as both and, you know, keep it sweet with your family and do all your sexual yeah. shows and, you know, keep your life going and still go to the mosque? And for me, it's always you been You go to pretty, the mosque? Of course. Really? I mean, hello. Yeah, very, very easy. Very, like, very how, easy. how often? Um, I mean, I don't pray five times a day. Uh, if I'm honest with you, I just pray once a day uh-huh. and do everything all in one go. So do you do uh, all the Kazaa. prayers in one go? Yeah, I just oh, wow. read Kazaa literally all the way through. Um, and I go for Juma prayers every Friday. That's so, um, impressive. So that's, you know, I fit that into my routine. But do you um, don't dress in drag to go to the mosque, I'm guessing? Um, I don't dress in drag, no. But... Um, I mean, you know, women obviously that go to the, um, you know, going to the mosque, you shouldn't be, actually be wearing any makeup and nail varnish and all these business anyway. So um, <laughs> yeah. even if I was a woman, I still wouldn't, I wouldn't wear makeup or, or, or drag up, if that makes sense. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I was told off in a mosque for nail polish once when I was 17. I think that was it for me. I was like, whatever. I'm not coming yeah. back. No, but. So. I mean, I do. Well, you know, my definition of drag queen is I, I believe everyone's a drag a drag artist. I mean, no, I get you know, that totally. You know, yeah. And, um, so I wouldn't. Uh, you know, I just go as to the mosque. I just go as my pure body form. I literally shower and whatever my body says, whether I look more feminine or whether I look more masculine, I, I just go to the mosque as yeah. I am. Literally moisturize are done. So um, you're kind of religious, like in your own way. You actually, you're not just like, you know, I know a lot of Muslims that are like, you know, they say they're Muslim, but they don't really practice like a lot of my family is very very like liberal muslim i'm liberal i guess i'm very liberal in my mindset but when it comes to actually you know day in day out i mean i for me it's very clear what i do uh, and i'll go through everything i 
you know, I practice the five pillars of Islam. So mm. I pray, I believe in one God, um, I give to charity, mm. I fast during Ramadan, and I've also been to Hajj. I've been to oh, pilgrimage, which is required once in your life. Yes, I've, I've been to Hajj. I went, God, 10 years ago now. Wow. God, it was a year I came out, actually, which was quite an amazing thing. That must have been um, like a strange emotional journey then. It was. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. It's one of those things that I don't think you ever forget in your life. I I found it very awe-inspiring. Mm. I found it very, um, you know, it was. I felt it was the reconciliation of everything of my being, and it gave me a lot of fire actually, which mm. which is great. So at that time, so you know, the other thing I believe in, for example, is marriage. Right. Right. I remember um, you talking about uh, that. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean, you know, we we sort of we had something called civil partnerships uh, for the last decade, which now we've got, you know, same sex marriage. Um, and it was interesting. The the line that was going around the British media was, uh, you know, Asifa says that she believes in gay marriage, not because she's LGBT, but because she's a Muslim. And, and that's, you know, I, I, I do believe in in sort of um, the what's the word? I believe in a monogamous, happy setting. Mm. Um, so my first experiences of going out clubbing on the LGBT community were very much, you know, as a, t- a teenager, I would go sneak out and go clubbing. And literally, sex was really much thrown in my face. And don't get me wrong, I'm a very sexual person. I love sex. But I felt... Especially as a 17-year-old, there was a lot of pressure to have sex. Mm. And uh, there was a lot of stuff that I saw in the community that I just felt really uncomfortable with. Mm. Um, Never sort of condoned it. Never, you know, I didn't ever tell my friends, oh, don't do this or, um, you know, um, this is wrong. But the, the pressure to drink, the pressure to have sex and the pressure to take drugs was ridiculous and I think now more than ever especially with the rise of chemsex it's even more um, it's even more out there in the LGBT community and for me, I found that really uncomfortable. And if I look back and if I'm really honest with myself, I think that sort of came from my faith side mm. where I actually wanted um I actually believe in in monogamy and uh, staying with one person rather than, you know, being polygamous. But you dated, like, before you were in a monogamous relationship, right? Oh, yes. I mean, I I dated without a doubt. But, um, you know, as a 17-year-old... Um, I, the looks I have now, I didn't have in my teens, shall we say, you know, I I wasn't a very, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't very attractive. I probably didn't package myself well. I didn't get a lot of attention Mm. and, um, uh, you know, the guys I wanted attention from didn't really go for me. So I, I, I didn't have a lot of sex if I'm honest with you at that point. Mm. Um, and, um, very early on, so in my early twenties, when I was at university, I met, um, uh, my future husband, basically. Mm. I met my future husband at university. Oh, so did um, I. I met mine at university. Really? Yeah. Oh, God, I love university for that reason. <laughs> and I basically, you know, he was a Pakistani guy, international student, and I met him and um, basically, like, hit it off with him. And then that sort of turned into my coming out because he was already out to his parents. That's so interesting. He said, look, if you're, if you're serious about me, then I can't, I'll be honest with you, I can't be with a person who isn't out. So that's you know, so strange that, like, he's from Pakistan and he's out to his family, but you you weren't out to your family in England. That's how of it is? course, yeah. And I mean, you know, again, it came down to education. So his, um, my husband's from the elites, mm-hmm. the Islamabad elites, and uh, his parents uh, at the time, uh, they were diplomats of the Pakistani government and they had been positioned at the High Commission, mm. the Pakistani High Commission in London. So he had been out to his parents for like, a decade, I think, by that point, you know, or maybe, you know, half because he came out in his late teens. Mm. And, um, you know, I think he went through the whole coming out experience and challenges. And I think he found it slightly easier because his parents being educated knew what it was. Whereas my parents, who were Pakistani immigrants, you know, 
from definitely the working class background of Pakistan and sort of living in a diaspora 1960s yeah. bubble that never burst. Yeah. You know, I was taken to the doctor, to the imam and yeah. you know, taken everywhere, left, right and center. I mean, my coming out story is heavy, heavily documented. So it's kind of like, you know, the juxtaposition of actually being with a Pakistani man from Pakistan um, telling me, actually, if you're not going to come out, then it's over. Um, wow. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really thankful that he did that because I don't think I could be in a relationship with somebody who, who, you know, wasn't honest and authentic. So, you know, my, I guess my point was marriage was really important to me. And to cut a long story short, I've been with him now for um, 11 years now. So wow, it's, it's um, you know, that's why. And oddly enough, when I went to my, uh, Hajj, I think this is more of a Pakistani superstition than maybe a... Um, uh, sorry, a Pakistani belief rather than a, uh, a general Islamic belief. But they say that, you know, when you first set eyes on the Kaaba, the first thing that you ask for comes true. Now, I don't know if that's a general Islamic thing or whether that's a Pakistani cultural thing. But um, I asked actually to be for um, a man to marry. Um, and that year, actually, when I, when I got back from Hajj, a couple of days later, my husband proposed to me. So uh, without, you know, me ever actually bringing up the, the issue of, of marriage. So, yeah, it's for me, being Muslim and being LGBT is very clear. Mm. You know, I'm married to an LGBT person. I believe in all the five pillars of Islam. Um do you find you guys have any culture cultural clashes like just because I, I assume he grew up did he grow up like all over the world because his parents were diplomats or did he grow up in Pakistan or uh, predominantly in Africa and then Pakistan so um, yes of course there's cultural clashes I mean my British side and yeah. you know his Pakistan uh, his formative years were spent in Pakistan um, but I think where we join is um, there was you know there's been periods of my life where I've spent time in Pakistan too. So in my, you know, from the ages of 11 and 14, mm -hmm. I, I was in Pakistan, um, in Karachi and Lahore. So I guess that gave me a grounding to sort of be with somebody who was from Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And That's I think... Good. And I think also there's an attraction there because, you know, I'm attracted to his Pakistaniness and I think he's attracted to my Britishness. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a sort of... We find each other exotic, if you like. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's sort of where I sit with my faith and my, you know, gender and, and sexuality, really, is for me, it's very crystal clear. Whereas with a lot of LGBT Muslims, uh, I think they struggle a lot with yeah, it. Yeah, I've know? heard a lot of people struggling with it, questioning it. I mean, I found it really interesting in the documentary, the Muslim drag queens one, there was a scene where you guys were like in a pub, I think, practicing. Yes. And yes. one of the people wanted to pray uh, yes. just over there and you had an objection because you found it like offensive to pray around alcohol right and I found that really interesting because earlier you're talking about how you know your your faith is yours to practice how you please so you can you know do drag and you're comfortable being gay and Muslim but then there's certain rules that you you're pretty particular about yeah I mean I I didn't drink back then and I still don't drink oh and, really um yeah, so, I mean, one thing I, I say is, look, my, my sexual orientation isn't something I control, but mm -hmm. what I can control, for example, is whether I eat pork or whether I drink, for example. Mm. Um, uh, and that sort of works for me. Now, the idea of praying, actually, at the time, I, I did think that way. I did think, oh, because it was just something that came up during filming. He just suddenly, his alarm went and he wanted to, you know, pray also. Mm -hmm. And I was just like... Oh, I don't think I can because there's alcohol just right there and we're in a pub setting and mm. I don't feel comfortable doing this. And, you know, there was a whole discussion about it. And I was like, go on, you, you pray. I'm not going to pray. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting because I think during the course of that documentary, I actually, uh, my boundary was pushed. Mm. You know, I'm all up for pushing others. And then suddenly my boundary pushed and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And then... Um, what you didn't see, what didn't make the final cut was a conversation that happened after he prayed. And I said, actually, do you know what? Uh, while you've been praying, I've actually been thinking about this. And actually, um, from my knowledge, 
if it, if it's time to pray, it's time to pray. And you know, if I take on into account poor people that don't have. Uh, a roof over their head or I don't have access to a mosque or, you know, that are working on the streets, for example, if it's prayer time, they can pray. And actually, if, if, if you, you know, if we are in a pub or whatever, and it's prayer time and you want to pray, you should be allowed to pray. So, you know, I've obviously like changed my opinion since that moment. That's really Um, cool. But I mean, I was, um, I was asked whether I wanted to keep that scene in before broadcast. And actually I wanted that scene kept in because I wanted, I've always been about authenticity Mm -hmm. and I've never ever claimed to have the right answers. I've always, I've always said, look, this works for me. This might not work for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's everybody has to find their own path with this. We haven't been given a script around this. So, um, I wanted people to see my vulnerability. Yeah, that's you know, I wanted people to really see that I, I'm not a sort of savior that knows everything there yeah. is because there hasn't been any precursor to this discussion anywhere yeah. out in the open. So I wanted people to see that actually I don't have all the answers. And um, if anything, actually, I, th- I think people saw how human I was in that moment. I'm, re- I'm really glad you kept it in because that was really mm. a, a point that stuck out for me. And um, yeah. You know, and it, and it caused me to ask you this question, and now we had this great discussion around it, and you talked about your boundaries being pushed and how your mind was changed. So I think that's really cool that you that you kept it in. Just the juxtaposition of, like, you know, this really sexy, sexual, like, drag queen who is concerned about these particular roles, about, you know, not drinking. It's, it's a fascinating... It's a fascinating story, you're mm. you're very interesting. Yes, I know. I am a um, I am a contradiction. I'm a walking talking contradiction um, who just basically lives in the moment and lives with a very wicked spirit, basically. So, <laughs> um, you know, I I. I am your everyday Muslim. I pick and choose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I pick yeah. and choose That's what works for me. Bingo. That's so true. And I'm very honest about it. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't pick and choose and then say no, no, no. I, you know, in the background, I, I do one thing and say no, no, no in public. I'm actually very honest right, about but what, that, what I do Don't you think it's funny say. that um, people often expect this uh, orthodox adherence from Muslims, but yet there are so many like modern day Christians that like completely pick and choose and people just don't expect that kind of adherence from them. Like Christianity as a faith has just transformed uh, into being just kind of chill and whatever you want to make of it. Whereas Islam is, I think only now just beginning that process of transforming and people like you are showing others that there are many ways to be a Muslim. So Totally. I mean, I always come across this uh, argument that Islam is very black and white, and I totally disagree. I don't think it is at all. And, um, you know, we still have to obviously become present to the fact that Islam is the youngest religious religion in the world. And yeah. it's undoubtedly going to evolve. Yeah. And I've heard all sorts of arguments that, oh, no, it will never evolve. Yeah. It will always remain true to what it is. And, and I think that's a load of tosh because by natural um by nature it will evolve i mean look at what's happening around islam well now. just it you is, it has evolved uh your proof of it evolving and every lgbt friendly mosque out there is proof of it evolving so these are all good go. good signs i think yes i i totally agree i mean um the other day i i met um I think it was Britain. So I don't know if she's the world's first hijabi model, but she's definitely Britain's first hijabi model. Mm-hmm. Um, she did. She uh, modeled for H&M. Um, and she's so pretty. And I met her and I was just inspired by her. Yeah. Um, you know, and that, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of arguments around that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, coming from, from Saudi, where I, where I grew up, I do have objections to, like, Western media glorifying. Like, I, I'm perfectly comfortable and I think it's necessary to be inclusive to hijabis in our you know everyday representation of people because Mm. they do exist among us but when they make it about the hijab and they say that it's this great amazing symbol that's when I start to 
have issues with that just because it it really isn't that for everyone so i feel it's inconsiderate for the people who do not get a choice right yes exactly exactly so i'm happy to have hijabis included in everything but like i think we should just stop saying that it's the hijab is the focus it's just the person we should just like have them as regular people instead of focusing on this yeah, I mean, you and I as Muslims, we get the diversity within women and, you know, the the interpretation uh, amongst the different Muslim cultures around yeah. modesty. And obviously the Western media aren't going to get that yeah. until, until, you know, something radical happens in terms of um, female, I don't know, exposure or, or discussion around it. And I mean, for me, it brings up this discussion that, especially in London, that's had all the time is representation of Muslims and why are Muslims not represented properly in the media? Yeah, Riz Ahmed Um, had a really great speech on that recently. Really? What was, sorry, I didn't see it, but what did he say? Well, he was just talking about how um, if the media provides a better narrative to kids that are being uh, radicalized, then you can perhaps win them over by telling that better story. I think he said something like in their heads, they're James Bond, like they're like James Bond when they go off to fight for ISIS but you have to kind of change that narrative for them and show them that they're being represented in different diverse roles which I totally agree with yeah I do agree with that and um it's interesting because, for example, when it comes to, you know, I do a lot of TV development work, for example. So when it comes to actually either casting Muslims in a show, even in roles that are, you know, fairly diverse and uh, don't actually require them to do anything uh, that pinpoints them as Muslim, for example, mm. it's very, I mean, it's very casting wise I don't know how it is in it is in North America and and uh, in terms of the United States and Canada but over here it's fairly difficult to still find people that are willing to be on camera um, oh, yeah? around I mean you know even with Muslim drag queens um, it ended up we actually filmed with around about 20 drag queens um, and then it just got dwindled down in the end like they kept pulling to, out kept pulling out yeah oh, kept really? pulling out one by one by one um and then and of course i mean with that niche and cohort of people it was mostly around do i want to be a public figure out yeah. there with with that um so it's i think it's interesting i think muslims as a whole are going through this time that if they are vocal about an issue that's to do with being muslim then they're out there or they're seen as the voice for that particular niche of Muslim or, you know, that particular angle of being Muslim. And it goes back to the argument that we're still a young religion trying to find our ways and evolving, right? Yeah, I find Britain has been pretty good at having these uh, conversations around Islam, right? Like there's so many yeah. documentaries. And in North America, we don't really have that and we don't really have a depiction of diversity among Muslims. Automatically, the def- default uh, Muslim is the you know religious hijabi one, which I think does damage to the community really to portray a very singular stereotypical conservative Muslim because that's really not who everyone is, and I think it would be mm. helpful if you could you know have some varied perspectives of different kinds of Muslims in the in the media and and also when someone tries to speak up about something like LGBT issues, they're they're automatically demonized as being Islamophobic even if they are of Muslim background like for example yes. my kid's book My Chacha is Gay was which uh, I love by the way oh thank you so so they had they had it in in schools in assemblies and you know it was so well received and kids were just so excited to see references to their culture like the word Chacha and Abu and you know they're just happy to see mm. that Hmm. And I was in one of the assemblies, just sitting in the back, observing, and, and and the smiles it brought on, you know, people's faces. I was so happy to see that. But then slowly, slowly, as parents started to get the news that this was in school, they were outraged, and they weren't so upset about it, like being 
a gay character, they were more upset about it being a gay Pakistani character because they just kept saying that this is a misrepresentation of our culture and it's Islamophobic to, um, you know, say that we have these gay chachas. Like, apparently we don't have any uh, gay people in Pakistani culture. So so then the schools I got mean, scared. That's, that's interesting, of and course. And pulled the book. Then, oh, that's such a shame because then it's obviously down to... Uh, you know, LGBT Pakistanis to actually speak up, right, and go, actually, this book does represent us, or there is truth in this, or in a community. Many exists, people right? did, though, but you know whose voices are louder, right? There's much more of non LGBT uh, Pakistanis that are like offended by this perspective or this aspect of diversity. So, and do you? Th- I mean, how, wh- what year did the book come out in? Mm, I think it was twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen, maybe. Okay, twenty fourteen. So how, and how have perceptions evolved since then? Is it still very much the same, or are you finding? Unfortunately, you know, I was so stigmatized. Uh, in front of the school, like all the parents complaining about me that I've been deemed this horrible uh, Islamophobe, bigot, anti-Muslim. And it's funny because I get shit from the atheist community. <laughs> Many people dislike me because I'm like this big, softy Islam apologist who just loves religion. <laughs> so they can't make up their minds, right? These two camps that attack me. So I kind of yeah. understand that place that you find yourself in. Uh, I'm both, yeah. I'm hated by both ends of that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So once that stamp is on me that I'm this horrible Islamophobe, nobody wants anything to do with um, my work anymore. So interesting. I mean, it's it's, it's God. I mean, it's interesting because I've never actually been called an Islamophobe before. Um, oh yeah. Or a transphobe, or a homophobe. I would expect that um, that you your act, uh, you know, wearing the burqa. I'd expect that that would get a lot of Islamophobia accusations. And interesting. And I've heard I've never like, actually been called, um, a, you know, a Islamophobic before, which is interesting. Funny. I'm I'm surprised you have. Yeah, I mean, I was just talking to a hijabi woman uh, on my podcast just last week, and mm. she was telling me that she's called an Islamophobe. Why? Um, for whatever. If she, you know, if she says that she's very liberal, she's very open-minded, and I guess she agrees with some criticisms, she's not completely dogmatic. So I guess that's Islamophobic to some people. Uh, it's interesting because, um, so for example, if I were to get the Islami- Islamophobe tag, then in a way that's sort of alienating a huge section of the Islamic community, mm. you know, for example, those that I identify as LGBT plus and Muslim, for example. Yeah. So how far are people within the community going to be ostracized until people realize how stupid this argument is? Because it goes back to Islam not being homogenous. We're not an entirely homogenous community or faith. Right, but I mean, try convincing real conservative Muslims of that, right? Like, it's their way or the highway. <laughs> and, you know, in reality, especially on the ground, most people aren't conservative. Mm. They'll say they are, but they'll say they are in public and maybe show that they are in public. Yeah. In reality, they're not at all. <laughs> well, it's kind of hard to, I guess, adhere to all the requirements and be that true conservative. That's why you have people that say they are, but they can't fully... fully satisfy that yeah i mean i used to think that was you could not you know live um to such conservative extent in the west but actually if you went to pakistan i don't think you can live to such conservative extent either Actually, I find that in uh, Pakistan, I went to school there just for a couple of years and Mm. I was surprised at how non-conservative people were there, right? I mean, granted, I went to a very liberal school. But I mean, I think Pakistani culture is very liberal. In in some in some realms, definitely, but it's also very like. Did you see? There's this hashtag going around on Twitter: "Hang Ayaz Nizami." He's like some blogger. They want him hanged for blasphemy. And the oh, kinds of it's just. 
Like well, in again, some ways, I mean, social media allows people to have a voice, right? So, right. Every every it, troll you know, gets a voice, but in some yeah. ways, there's some weird juxtapositions to Pakistani culture, right? Yes. Like, uh, you know, the the trans community there is pretty accepted socially. They come to weddings, like the Hijra community. They'll perform. Yeah. But then yeah. at the same time, they will not be integrated right into regular society. They cannot get jobs. Well, now that's changing a bit, but it's it's strange. And also, like just like same-sex affection is so acceptable there. That was something that I found rather mm. odd when I moved, right? Once I was there mm. with my husband, and we as a straight couple could not hold hands in the market. Like I almost got run over by a woman who was so mad, screaming whore at me, like as she tried to drive through us holding hands. Like... <laughs> But the, every other guy, every other pair of guys was holding hands. They can grab each other's asses. It's fine. Nobody bats an eyelid. Yeah. So it's, it's strange how these little things um, exist there. Totally. And uh, it's interesting because I was thinking what would happen if a woman grabs another woman's boobs or ass in public in Pakistan. Yeah, exactly. you know, I, think it, I definitely think it's a male-led sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. there definitely. without a doubt. Yeah, I don't um, think that would you be... You know, without a doubt at all. And it's interesting, I mean, uh, the trans community now, I mean, last year a fatwa was issued in Pakistan that you can marry a trans person if they have mm. passing privilege on either side. So it's kind of like, what's the deal with that? You know, So they so have to be like passing? They said that. Yeah, so here's the, this is very, this is what the trans community are really in uproar about. That So you've given us this, this religious right that we can marry now only if we pass as female or male. <laughs> Who's going to be the judge of that? I have no idea, honey. I have no idea. I'm just glad it's not me. <laughs> That's so strange. There are some very strange fatwas out there. There's one against women uh, purchasing bananas and zucchinis or spending time around bananas and zucchinis as well. Really? Yeah. There's some really strange, obscure fatwa about that, like because they're like sexually phallic-shaped objects women can get tempted by their shape. I don't know. Oh, okay. Not the other way around then. No, guys can touch all the bananas they want. <laughs> and get tempted. Oh, God. It says yeah. it all, really, doesn't it? Yep, yep. It really does. Um, yeah, you know, the other thing that was really sweet on, on the end of uh, Muslim Drag Queens, when your mom showed up, it was so emotional. Like, I, I was, like, mm. all teary-eyed. It was really, really sweet. Did you guys have, like, a, a good relationship, you and your parents? I do, yes. I mean, and this is what I think people find very, you know, hard to believe that, you know, yes, I identify as both uh, LGBT and Muslim, and I've managed to keep things very sweet with my parents as well. I mean, ultimately, yeah, my parents do support me. I mean, I think the, the, the documentary actually showed a reality that, you know, uh, on my female sides, it, it's fairly easy with all my aunties mm. and my mums and my sisters. And on the male side, you know, I think my dad still finds it challenging. But again, just like what happened in the documentary, he hasn't chucked me out in mm. any way. I'm still very much in contact with him. Um, he does find it challenging. But at the same time, he doesn't want to... He does not want me to be in his life, you know? Well, that's great. I mean, I think that your story can inspire so many other parents, right, that might be thinking of throwing their kids out or whatever. If, mm. So th this has now become like a public example that other uh, gay or trans uh, Pakistani kids can point to and see, well, look, those are some parents that embrace this and look nothing bad has happened it's okay exactly and uh i mean i think for me i mean people go on about um me but if i'm honest i think the real hero of that uh documentary was my mum. my mum is my heroine you know she's my hero mm. and uh, she always has been in my life and um it was a very big thing i think for her to take part in the documentary and be so public yeah. about about you know supporting me and um, did they get any backlash from that oh god yeah i mean my 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 mum you know 
there are sections of the family that don't talk to her now mm. and there are sections of the family that are cool with her and um, same with her friends you know there, there's some people that you know we get invited to certain weddings and we don't now mm. um, but again I think it came down to my mum like do I do I lose my um, my own offspring or do I lose you know far distant non-important members of the family or you know now I, I will see who my real friends are kind of thing and, yeah yeah you know and it's a journey I mean I have good days with my families and I have bad days with my families around it yeah you know sometimes I feel we take like five steps backwards for every one step we take forwards but you know um you know, my mum, I dress in front of my mum. She gives me fashion advice. Hmm. Uh, you know, my mum was the first glamorous woman I saw. So, Oh, that's so sweet. Um, you know, we do share um, quite a lot of love. I mean, my mum, you know, has a great voice. And I think her, her, her sort of personal dream was always to be a, a, an art singer for Radio Pakistan. But that never really happened at the time. And, hmm. um you know, she's always pushed me when it comes to performing and, and doing my thing because I think she always saw my talent as as a performer. Um, and she's she's always been about wary about me being political and, you know, pushing the boundaries. But ultimately, she never stops me. She just lets me. She kind of scolds me and, and verbally tells me off. But at the end of the day, she still lets me do it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents are kind of uh, the same. Obviously, my situation is not as is not the same as yours but you know coming mm. out as a non-believer and stuff like that and they still accept me and so there are some parallels I don't mean to compare our struggles mm. or anything but mm. um you know many ex-Muslims get thrown out of their house of course so, I mean it's a, that's still a big deal I mean you know um I, I remember my um my mom, um, when my, the conversations were had initially with my mom and, and my mom and dad, my mom was really confused because he was like, so, you know, he doesn't want to leave Islam, but he does identify as 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 gay. I, I just don't get that because surely he would just want to leave. So, you know, it was... Um, I guess for me, it was always just about being honest everywhere. I think the honesty really saved my relationship with my parents. Mm. I didn't ever hide. Who, yeah. You know, once I decided to come out, I'd, I, I, I came out in every aspect, you know, to them mm. um, and was very honest about that. So, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying I had stayed w within the realm of Islam because... I wanted to, you know, remain, remain in a relationship with my parents. Nothing like that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I think they, um, I think they have a lot of love and respect for me. And I, they, you know, they're constantly worried, just like any mum and dad yeah. would be about my safety. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I think after six odd years of doing this and and being in the public eye, I'm I'm very comfortable and very happy. And I think they are too. You know, that's awesome. So, you know, thank you so much for being an inspiration to Pakistanis and Muslims everywhere for challenging, uh, you know, boundaries and just don't ever stop doing that. I think you're doing awesome work. Oh, you're most, you're most, most from the bottom of my heart. Like, thank you so much. Uh, you're most welcome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. It's really been a treat. I've been admi an admirer of yours for so long. I remember we once spoke via Skype, like briefly in a Manchester movie festival. Oh, yes, I remember. I yes. could see you, but you couldn't see me. <laughs> I think I was wearing a very nice sort of like maroon shirt or something from what I remember. Maybe I've got the wrong one. You weren't dressed as Asifa. So I remember being very like, like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to misgender. Oh, do I? What? You know, I'm like, I don't want to offend anyone. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've also talked about being like gender fluid, as you call it. Like, yes. So I, I mean, I identify as both uh, sort of male and female. Mm -hmm. um, I am sort of very comfortable with both my masculine and feminine identities. And I'm very easy, actually, about being called whatever. Like yeah. when it comes to pronouns, use whatever you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Because the way I say to people is, look, I'm really comfortable with who I am. 
and it's obviously an issue with you. Yeah. So why don't you use something? Why don't you use the pronoun that you feel comfortable calling me? Because then cool. you can deal with it. I mean, I, I, I would just go by visual cues, right? So, but yeah. I know you yeah. as Asifa and you were yeah. dressed as Asif. So that's yeah. when I was like, oh no, what do I call her? What, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did you go with at the time? I actually can't remember. I think I went with him, okay. but then I was like, oh no, I don't know if I did the right thing. So I don't know. Oh God. <laughs> I, like, well, let me just clear that up for you. I, I'm cool with whatever you call me, whatever you feel comfortable with me, however I'm presenting, whatever, whatever goes with me. Well, you keep being awesome. And uh, maybe we'll chat again. If you're ever in Toronto, you let me know. I will do. I've got a friend who's moving to Toronto, so I'll be making visits soon. Oh, cool. Cool. All right. Well, you take care of yourself. Okay. You too. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at NiceMangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal, nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no E in mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. 